We love you, Lord. We just pray that you would bless the rest of the service. Bless Pastor Steve as he brings this message to us and help it to help us to apply it to our lives, Lord. It's in your precious name we do pray this morning, Jesus. Amen. If you have a Bible with you, you can open up to the prophet Micah. And uh, we're going to be looking at this, at the little picture handout or the drawing. We'll be walking through this book a little bit this morning. It's always a little bit nervous uh, looking at some of the prophetic words of Scripture. We did this last week. We started uh, kind of a shorter series that I'm just calling the Kingdom Mosaic. And we know that the call of God and the, pur- the purpose of God was to extend his kingdom over all the earth and include all people, giving all people the opportunity to respond to his love. One of, God's, one of the problems that God's people had early on was a pride in thinking that God had only chosen a small group of people. And while God initially started with a small group of people, his purpose was always much bigger and global than that. Last week we looked at the book of Amos and primarily God's call upon the lives of his people to pursue justice and righteousness. And we do this in a variety of ways, and Micah actually helps push us even further in that direction. The beautiful and diverse mosaic of God's kingdom today is made up of people all over the world. People who worship the same God, but perhaps practice faith in very different ways than maybe you or I would. By becoming part of God's kingdom, we actually work to fulfill our high calling and responsibility to be a blessing to the world. When the church, God's people today, are not a blessing, then we are actually being unfaithful to the God that we say we serve. All of this leads us today into the book of Micah, which of course resounds with those most famous words that we just sang. Micah 6 eight is probably one of the most memorized or sung or heard verses in all of the Bible. In fact, it's popular and celebrated within the church. It's almost like a trumpet call that the church likes to uh, sing and talk about. There are whole conferences devoted to Micah 6.8. And actually that verse has grown in prominence over the last 20 years because especially in younger believers, they have a much higher view of pursuing God's justice in the world than perhaps people of previous generations. It's not always a word that we want to hear. This verse has also tended to, I'm trying to think of a good way to say this, to separate the powerful critique that Micah gives to God's people from its original context. In other words, we like to take verse 8, but we don't always like to read the other parts that surround that verse. And when we do that, we actually weaken and cheapen the Word of God. It makes it more domesticated and comfortable for us. Who doesn't like to say the words and believe the words of Micah 6.8? 
to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. But we don't like reading the rest of the verses. So we're going to do that today. Sometimes we do this without even realizing it. We actually read Scripture, and we have this view of ourselves as the hero. We rarely or less often like to see ourselves as the anti-hero or even the villain, receiving the prophetic word from God. It's interesting that we do that even when our lives and lifestyles sometimes more resemble rebellious adversaries of God. All of us are aware of this at some level. When reading the prophetic words, however, we have a certain comfort when we see ourselves as almost in the role of the prophet, delivering a word to those people instead of seeing ourselves as those people. This is a painful truth and reality that as God's people we need to hear. As we summarize the message of Micah today, may we be given ears to hear and receive the word of the Lord as he directs it to us today. As I said last week, sometimes the good news of Jesus, the gospel message, is actually here to cause us discomfort. And in that discomfort, discomfort is not necessarily a bad thing because it can actually dislodge us from the comfortable rhythms of life and society that actually lull us to sleep like reading the tax code at night before we go to bed. Sometimes we have the same approach with the Bible. So let's take a look at this handout, and if you uh, see the full picture on the book that's over on the little table with the purple cloth on it, it has all four of these pages kind of in one drawing, and I just kind of reordered it a little bit so it fits nicely on our page today. So we have the book of Micah, and by the time that Micah is called by God, the kingdom of Israel has split into two sections. It has divided. It's like a schism between family members. And we have the northern kingdom that is still called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. And both kingdoms are violating their covenant agreement with God. So God sends Micah to them as a just and righteous prophet. It's interesting that we, he's considered a just and righteous prophet. We think that all of the prophets are good. The ones that are chosen by God and recorded in the Bible are, but there are also bad prophets. And we'll hear about some of that today. In verse 3-8, this is how Micah is viewed. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob, that is, the fellow Israelites, his transgression, to Israel his sin. So Micah is there to speak a hard word to God's people, that he would ascend two big empires in judgment against his own people. Why? Why would God send Assyria, who will take out the northern kingdom and a little bit of the south, and then eventually Babylon will come and take all of the rest of God's people captive and put them in exile? Why would God 
do this? Well, he does this because Israel had engaged in 500 years of rebellion by this time. This was not a minor incursion. This was not a minor uh, veering away from God's ideal. 500 solid years of rebelliousness. Those of you that have had smaller people in your life, imagine a lifetime full of rebellion. Some of you don't even have to imagine it. (laughs) Let alone, now you know how God feels in the parental role, 500 years of rebellious children. This book actually follows a pattern that God gives Micah. He starts out with accusations and warnings against his people, and then he follows that up with a word of hope and restoration for that small remnant of people who who will remain faithful to the Lord. And in chapters 1 and 2, it's really cool when you read through the book, God is presented as appearing similarly to as to Mount Sinai all the way back in the book of Exodus. Remember when God came upon the mountain and there was clouds and, and Moses goes up the mountain, has this huge experience. But this time God doesn't come to make a covenant with his people. He comes to send judgment against his people. In particular, Micah calls out the leaders of the kingdom because they have become wealthy by theft and greed. He also calls out the corrupt prophets. You can see this in the but why section. These prophets had begun to offer promises of God's protection. They would offer to bless you in the name of the Lord if you could pay. And this, they actually actually promised that people would be protected if they paid a little money and they could receive this blessing of protection. What does Micah say? He says, no, not at all, no way. In truth, God has actually withdrawn his protection from you who corrupt his name. It's a very harsh and appropriate word. So that's the first part. I'll come back to the hope and restoration piece in a second. On the inside, The second part of Micah, chapters 3 and the first part of chapter 4, there's a similar image where he points out the injustice of Israel's leaders. Micah actually names a lot of these injustices. He details how the rich oppress the poor, how they steal, how they evict the poor and steal their land, steal their titles, and take it by fraud and violence. He shares how the people bend, how the leaders especially bend justice to favor the wealthy, how the poor are deprived of all of their land and security and hope. And all of it violates God's laws. It's like God had laid out all of his laws for his people a long time before, and they just completely were doing the opposite by this point. 500 years. It's a long time. It's, we think it's easy to get off track in like five minutes, but 500 years, you can get really off track. At this point, God's people hate good and love evil. They hate justice and they twist the truth and they have built all of this on a foundation of murder and corruption and they make decisions based on bribes and they twist justice based on who can pay. 
This is not the present nor the future that God has planned. It is not anywhere close to his desire for his people. So they will be punished and sent into exile. So that's the bad news, at least the first part of the bad news. Don't worry, there's more. God in his mercy, however, knows that some people will remain faithful. So the bottom of that first page, the hope and restoration, the words that God gives Micah is to share this image of God actually acting as a shepherd, drawing his people back and tending them and giving them good pasture. It's a great way of pairing judgment with a word of hope and restoration. God is going to tend his flock and bring them back. In the second word of hope on the bottom of the second page, where it says, but it's not permanent, that remnant is actually returned and restored. The temple is rebuilt, and the people are brought into that area, that image of New Jerusalem, where God will reign supreme over all, and there will be peace on earth. And we get a little bit of, we get a little taste of that when Jesus comes. And we'll get the full expression of that when Jesus returns. It's a future vision. Everyone still following so far? All right. In the third section, the right hand of the inside, chapters, the second half of chapter 4 and chapter 5, God lays out the details of his promise of restoration. He says, a king is going to come to rule you. He is going to usher in a new kingdom. He is going to be from the line of David. We kind of know where this is going so far. And this king and the kingdom will confront evil in the world, and this remnant will become the blessing among the nations. In this time, God will confront and bring confront evil and bring justice to the earth, removing evil from his world. We're not quite there yet. In the meantime, we're still waiting for that day when Christ returns. In the meantime, or but, first, God makes a strong case against his wayward children. And this is where Micah 6 comes in. The final section, chapters 6 and 7, actually follow the same pattern as earlier in the book. This is the the bottom corner of the inside right page, the third page. Micah exposes the unjust economic practices of the nation by presenting God's case against his people. So instead of just reading verse 8, I want to read verses 1 through 7. This is the context for which verse 8 is brought. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up. Plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. As an aside, the Lord is basically saying, there's no human capable right now of actually making a case. So I'm going to plead my case to the mountains, to the very creation, and render judgment appropriately. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, 
What have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. Those of you that have been called to be parents or been parents at some point in your life, maybe that sounds very similar in thinking about conversations with children or wayward young ones or wayward old ones. How have you burdened me? Answer me. God continues, I brought you up out of Egypt. I redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam, my people. Remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? This is God's case against his people. Hundreds and hundreds of years of rebellion. In fact, they've been rebellious since the beginning. And so that I'm not... I don't want to just say they. We really should be saying we because this is also an image of us as God's people. We all know that at times we're better and sometimes we're not. And so we have to be on the receiving end of these words too. And this is where Micah offers those famous words that summarize what it means for God's people to actually follow their God. He has told you O human, what is good? And what the Lord requires of you to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In the big picture, verse 8 actually shows us that God's people do not know the only true and authentic way to draw near to the Lord. Because it requires a heart transplant. A conversion that opens you up to see and hear and believe and act as God already does. You see, God didn't and doesn't need any more sacrifices from us. He only desires one sacrifice, and that sacrifice looks like verse 8. On the back of your bulletin, I just put a few blanks because I know some of you like that structuring to do justice. Some of the working definitions that I've used before regarding doing justice, remember doing justice is an action, it's activity, it's not passive. And I describe it as this, to join God in making things right. To join God in making things right. When it says to love mercy, these are not the only definitions, by the way. We could probably change them a little bit. To extend God's love outward to all. Sort of like liberally scattering the seed, kind of if, if that's the sort of image that you resonate with. To extend God's love outward to all. To walk humbly with our God this is a tricky one, 
because we don't always like to be humble. But I would say to draw nearer to see and act as God does. We only are able to see and act as God does when we are near to him, when we're drawing near. It's almost like the holiness of God transforms us. And we start to see the world as God sees. We start to see people as God sees. We start to see ourselves as God sees us. All three of those things together are not presented as optional for God's people. All of them are needed to lead to true freedom and justice for the oppressed in whatever form. God reveals in this one verse alone what he considers true worship and devotion. No more sacrifices, no more empty rituals, no more showy practices, no more standing up in a service and shouting out loudly about how much you are going to bless someone. God's not interested in any of that. He wants you to actually do stuff. It's a beautiful picture, actually, of what God truly desires and commands his people to do because God, what he really wants most is our hearts. And when he gets your heart, he wants your life. And when he has your life, all the good deeds that we do and all of the other demonstrations of the good news that we share should follow. This is the basis of Micah for us today. That as we hear this word, we would understand that followers of Jesus must be willing to live lives that are radically different from the rest of the world. And trust me, it's easy to live like the rest of the world. We all know this. It is so much harder to live radical lives that look very differently. The very fact that you're here today and not watching six hours of pregame, even if you want to, that's part of, that's just a little piece of living a little bit differently. And this is what Micah communicates to the people. I'm going to read the last part of chapter 6. And when I'm done with that, would someone be willing to just text Amy and give her the heads up after I'm done with reading? So right after this verse that Micah shares, giving us what God really desires, he knows that this is not what God's people have been doing. And so he says, guess what? I know you're not doing it, so this is the end. You're coming to ruin. Let me read. Don't you like that word of hope? Listen, the Lord is calling to the city, and to fear your name is wisdom. Heed the rod and the one who appointed it. Am I still to forget your ill-gotten treasures, you wicked house, and the short ephah, which is accursed? Shall I acquit someone with dishonest scales, with a bag of false weights? Your rich people are violent, your inhabitants are liars, and their tongues speak deceitfully. Therefore I have begun to destroy you, to ruin you because of your sins. You will eat but not be satisfied. Your stomach will still be empty. You will store up, but save nothing, because what you save I will give to the sword. You will plant, but not harvest. You will press olives, but not use the oil. You will crush grapes, but not drink the wine. 
You have observed the statues of other gods, Omri and all the practices of Ahab's house. You have followed their traditions. Therefore, I will give you over to ruin and your people to derision. You will bear the scorn of the nations. Can you imagine receiving this word the first time? A hard, hard word. So is there any hope for God's people? Then and now. Well, there is hope because a faithful remnant did remain and return to the land. We know that this was not the end of the story. It was the end of the story for many, but it's not the end of the story for God. Micah actually ends, and this is on the back page, the back of the handout in chapter 7. Micah ends with an image of Israel as an individual who is suffering, sitting alone in shame and defeat, and they look to God, they say, God, show us, show me mercy. They beg God to listen and forgive. And at first, it's like, should God actually listen at this point? Why should God listen now? His people didn't for over 500 years. They didn't listen to God. And we don't always listen well today as well. I'm not exempting us either. Well, the prophet actually says, yes, God will listen. And he gives two reasons. And they're listed right there in that square. Number one, because of God's character. And number two, because of God's promises. You see, because of God's character, his mercy is more powerful than his anger and judgment. And because of his promises, he is faithful to uphold his word. You see, God had made an agreement with his people all the way back in Genesis that through them the world would be blessed. But in order to become a blessing to the world, God's people must first be faithful to his word. Church, we are meant to be a prophetic witness in the world today, and we cannot do this if our loyalties lie elsewhere. We always have the opportunity to turn our hearts closer to God, to draw near to Him. Because when we are near to Him, what happens? Things change, and in a good way. The closing verse at the very bottom, let me read this. God delights in covenant love. So he will again show compassion. This might be the word of hope that you need today. He will trample our evil. He will toss our sins into the depths of the sea. When I read that again this week, I was like, amen, amen. He will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. My prayer for us today is that we have ears to hear and hearts to respond. One of the ways that we get to see and have a little bit more hope that God is still at work is through our kids. So we get a chance to see and participate this morning. And remember, they, you guys are leading us, but we are gonna, we're going to practice all of this too. All right? All right, so... Thank you. So I'm... Um, Actually, Ginny and Sam know a lot of these too, but they are done, I think, for the day. Are you all ready? Yes. I appreciate that you all are standing here and that you're very enthusiastic and excited. Thank you for that's good. Um, Gideon, I know you're super tired, but I am proud of you for standing up anyway. You're awesome. All right, are we ready? Okay. 
three, two, one. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, of the Old Testament. Now, I put a challenge to our kids. Oh, don't go away, Sebastian. Come on back. Oh, I, so I have a challenge. Two challenges. One, Miss Ayla here is going to do the whole thing all by her own self. Are we ready? Ayla, stand where everybody can see you. Are you ready? Go when you feel ready. Good job, Miss Ayla. We already heard from the small ones that we still have work to do. So quite simply, be at peace, go enjoy to love and serve the Lord. Amen, amen. Have a wonderful week, church. I look forward to seeing you again.